showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Welcome back to Relationship Psych, the podcast. Today we have Jessica Elizabeth Cole on the show. She's a psychotherapist specializing in sexuality and relationships and out of control sexual behaviors and betrayal trauma wide range of really interesting topics to dive into and talk about. She practices in New York City, focusing her work on rebuilding relational trust, sexual expression after traumatic and or significant life changes. And that's the thing about life sometimes. I'm like, it it's never, doesn't really stop changing, changing no. all the time. And it can be a big identifiable stressor that you're like, ah, this would cause a change in my body or change my relationship with my sexuality could impact our relationship with, with our partner. And sometimes it's not something that you would think of that causes such a change in our relationships with ourselves, relationships with our partners. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. We're going to be talking about women's sexuality pre, mid, post menopause. And I think this is a great topic because most people know that women go through menopause, but we, most of us don't talk about how that's going to impact our relationship with ourselves, our, our partner. So I'm just looking forward to this. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like it's a weird secret almost. It's like, I know something's different inside me. I don't know if I can talk to other people about it. And people do yeah. talk about it, but it, it just, I feel like it's a much smaller issue than it it should be. It should be a big issue because half the people in the world will hopefully go through menopause at some yeah. point. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that can be very, can be private for some people or very personal. And you're like, how do you bring this up? How do you talk about it? Who do you talk about it with? Yeah. And so it can be one of those kind of tricky subjects, difficult issues. Yeah. That's, and it, it goes, it goes from like emotional to very like physical stuff. So it can get very hard to even just describe what is happening to you. Yeah. Cause you don't want to yeah. say words like vagina or dryness or like uh, low libido. Like those are scary words. And to like say them out loud admits that you're broken or something doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that can be, that can be really hard. How come this, how come this field, this topic is important to you? It, okay. I was thinking about the origin story. Um, it really all started with one particular client of mine who I started seeing because she was going through pretty acute betrayal trauma. She'd been mm. with someone found out um, that they were a sex addict. It had been a 10 year long relationship. It wasn't just the sex addiction. It was a whole host of other anger issues, really just abuse. Um, and she finally left him and we worked together to kind of help her sort out her life afterwards. And she took 
I mean, she left work, she got really ill, she left, I mean, she lost a lot of weight, like big changes happened because of the fallout of this relationship. But as she started to get better, she also started dating and she dated a few guys and this and that. Um, and she ultimately met a guy who was nice and stable and um, handsome and uh, like a lot of good things. And he was nearby because she lives in Savannah um, and she was not finding like her type. She's like a lifelong New Yorker type mm. now lives in Savannah. And she was like, where are, where are the intellectuals with their glasses? So she finally found one. Um, but once they were dating, dating, she was like, I don't know if I want to have sex with this person. Mm why don't I want to have sex with this person? He's lovely. He is, he's checks all the boxes. It's like, he's the opposite of who I was with. Um, but we started exploring, like, is it, is it that, is it the effects of betrayal trauma that, you know, you felt sexually, um, what's the word I want, violated by the actions of your, long-term partner and so just even starting to be sexual again is fraught with you know what is healthy sexuality look like even um do I want to be touched by someone uh can I be can I engage sexually without thinking of what my partner did um mm -hmm. or things that he did to me um so it's like okay it could be that could be betrayal trauma effects it could be that you're 59 and there are, you know, hormone issues and um, she's, she'd gone through menopause, but she's taking hormones, but sometimes didn't take the hormones and blah, blah, blah. So it could be that, um, or it could be, maybe you're not sexually attracted to this person. Mm. And it was really hard to tell between all those things, what's really going on. We're still trying to figure it out. Um, but it really plagued her at the beginning. She was like, what if I'm, what if I can't have sex again? Mm. What if that's I can a really, never that's a really have big sex question. again? Yeah. Do I ever, will I ever want to have sex again? Yeah. Um, can I be turned on? Like th there's just a lot of, even down to, you know, could I, could I, can I orgasm if I masturbate? Like the, just, you know, tr really trying to figure it out. Um, so from her, I just, because she and I were having all those conversations, I just kept asking other people kind of in her age group that I saw, you know, what's, what's your, what's going on with you in this department? And more often than not, people would be like, nothing, mm. no nothing is going on in that department. Mm. And then we'd have to explore, like, is that your choice? Is that just something that's happened over time? Is like, why? Mm -hmm. um, and people have different answers, but uh, it was, it just, it comes with a lot of shame, embarrassment, shame about being older, shame about your body changing, wanting to be like young and vibrant and sexual forever. Um, especially if you're dating again, a lot of people I see are post-divorce and it's like, how do I be like 
gung-ho about sex when I'm not? Um, why would someone want to be with someone if they didn't want to have sex with them? It's like mm-hmm. All that stuff. Yeah. So it just opened a whole world of questions. And those are really big questions that so many people have. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about betrayal trauma. And I just wanted to make a note that if you're like, what is betrayal trauma? Uh, one of Jessica's colleagues actually is on the podcast on episode 81 on relationships, like the podcast covers betrayal trauma. So if we're talking about that, you're like, what is that? Go check out episode 81. Okay. So I'm curious when you, when you started talking to people, you've got into this, have you noted that there are patterns of change in the body that are, are predictable around menopause or is it very woman to woman? I mean, there's, there's a general, there, there, there are several things um, that anyone who's gone through menopause is probably like, yep, that definitely happened to me. Um, You know, the, the estrogen goes down your, your hormones, if you're in, if if you're perimenopause, things are just fluctuating. So you may or may not be getting your period. You may or may not have um, what they call PMS. You may or may not want to have sex this month or that month or, so there's just changes. And then Mm -hmm. once the real menopause sets in, it's just like usually a drop. Um, Now what like there's a positive and negative about losing, losing sexual interest it seems um or or not just interest but like um desire um it's like a lot of women describe you know feeling worried about that not working so well anymore but they also describe freedom they're like i don't care Hmm. i don't i don't care about i don't care i don't care how i look naked i don't care how, you know, like how many times a month or week I'm supposed to perform in order to keep, you know, my marriage healthy. Like, I just, I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of this like burden that is lifted while another burden comes on. And some people feel more freedom and some people feel like more anxious about these changes. Right. Um, and people will decide to do different things. You'll take the hormones. You'll, some people don't even take hormones. They'll just take something vaginal that will help lubricate them so that they can still technically have sex, but maybe they don't want to as much. Um, mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of ways that people, ways that people deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally it's just the, the pattern is like, I, it, you know, wherever my baseline was, it's fluctuating. This is weird. And now mm. it's, it's declined. Decline. Yeah. And when we're talking about that desire, are we talking about both spontaneous desire and reactive desire? Are we talking about just spontaneous desire? Are we talking like, how, is there differences in those kind of areas? So this is, this is the subject that I'm most interested in. And, Ooh, and let's talk I'll about just, it. I'll just do a little like plug for not my book, but this book, Come As You Are, is amazing um, by Emily Nagoski, PhD. Um, it's about the science of female sexuality. And it talks a lot about the spontaneous versus responsive desire. And um, it seems for, for those people that I've spoken to who are willing to 
try things out. Like they, they do want to have sex. They do want this to be a part of their lives. Um, when those folks try different things, a lot of them find they don't have no desire. They just have responsive desire. Mm. And um, the context of their lives is not creating a lot of things for them to respond to. Okay. Can you maybe, I, I'm just recognizing for listeners, I throw out some terms, but not everybody might know what those mean. Can you define for us spontaneous and responsive desire maybe? So spontaneous desire is um, basically like being ready to go. It's, uh, sex is regularly on your mind and um, you don't need a lot of context or coaxing or um, prepping to just be ready for it. And, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the other one? Reactional? No. Responsive. 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 <laughs> Responsive desire um, is uh, a desire that comes when provoked is not quite the right word, but like predicated on um, a context that is pleasurable and safe and um, sexy and fun. So mm. you got to like, stoke the fire but the fire is there what i'm kind of reminded of when you're talking about these and i'm sure this isn't the case for everybody i remember i rem, i'm thinking of like my early 20s <laughs> and feeling a lot of, of just spontaneous desire to people mm -hmm. it felt like my my body was uh, often just like very easily aroused by people places things who knows all sorts yeah. of things that, that might just be me could be others but I'm, and I'm also kind of thinking about a lot of people's reports of early falling in love and having a, in, in many cases, not all cases of mm -hmm. just how they felt a lot of desire at the beginning. And then it can maybe start, they don't, they're like, why does it go away? Why does it fade? Why does it change? But I, I'm, I'm remembering some of these early times. Is there any relationship between some of the younger years or early phase of relationship and spontaneous desire? They, I mean, the big premise of this book as far as um responsive desire is that it's all about context mm. and uh a lot of people will experience you know spontaneous desire in their 20s and then it kind of changes uh, whether in the context of a relationship or just in the context of your life like i'm in my 30s and i'm not experiencing as much spontaneous desire as i used to um that could be because the context has become boring. The context mm. has become routine. Um, the pleasure in it is not the pleasure of novelty or um, the unknown. It's it's more like the pleasure of eating a cupcake. Um, mm. Like you go buy the cupcake and then you put it down and then you eat the cupcake and like you kind of know what pleasure you're going to get from the cupcake. So it's like it tastes good and it's fun, but it's not like a surprise. Right. Um, so it's uh, so people who may be in menopause or premenopause or postmenopause, if they have if they find that they still have spon um, not spontaneous, but um, Oh my gosh, why do I keep regretting the, the other one? Because it's on this, you're on the spot. So now it's just it, the word responsive just doesn't want to stick responsive. in your mind. Responsive. I'm just going to write it in big letters right here. Responsive. Those who can still 
they feel that they have responsive desire, they need more help creating a context that feels fun, novel, sexy, adventurous, exploratory, as opposed to saying, you know, I know what sex with my partner is going to be like. Mm. It's going to be on Wednesday. It's going to between be between the hours of 10 and 11 p.m. And this and this and this are going to happen. It's like it can get hard to be emotionally excited about that, mm-hmm. um, even if it could be physically pleasurable. Right. It's not creating a context of like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, I liked your cupcake example because like, you know, maybe you've had sex with your partner 300 times, 400 times, 500 times, 600 times by the time you've been married for a long time. And it's, you you know how it's going to taste. You know how it's going to feel. You know exactly what to expect. You're, it's not, you're not going to a new bakery. You're trying a new cupcake. You're kind of having the same cupcake at the same bakery. It's comfortable. It's familiar, but there, you're not having that, not that, that surprise. Yeah. And, and so, it makes sense that you're it's, yeah. it's providing a different kind of novelty. It's, it's a, it's like one of those comforts. It could be something that's familiar or not comfort. If you don't like it, like, I guess that could depend. Maybe you're getting a cupcake. You don't like the taste of repetitively, then you know, that's a different could story. Happen. Yep. <laughs> so what kind of things can people do to create some more novelty, fun exploration into their relationship when they've been together a while and maybe going through some changes in their body or not, or just, they've just been together a while. Change, you know, a lot of people will describe, um, you know, sex is one way when we're at home, but when we go on vacation, it's different. Mm. Why is it different when we're on vacation? We're the same people. And the answer again is context. It's like, you're not at home where the laundry basket is sitting there with all the unfolded laundry in it while you're having sex. Like that's a thing that you could be looking at and be like, uh, I'm not so like, I'm not present anymore. Like they're changing, changing the environment around you is one way. Now you can't mm-hmm. go on vacation every time you want to have sex. Um, so well, it'd be really nice if you could, but yeah, it would be not nice. feasible for most of us financially <laughs> or time-wise. So what can you do? That's not that. Um, first of all, you can ask yourself and your partner, are there things that I am curious about that I have not done? It's a great question. Are there things that you're curious about that we have not done? Where do these things match up, if at all? Um, and there are, I don't have like a particular link in mind right now, but there are a lot of um, places online where you can go find these kind of like lists. And the idea is that the, on the lists are things that you could do sexually and each person gets their own little thing and they write it down and they go through the list and check off all the things that they might be curious about or they know they're really into or they know they're really not into and then you get back together and you check where the overlap is and if there's some significant overlap in areas that you're both excited about then you just start doing more of those things that's a great idea actually have you heard of the Gottman's card decks app no Okay. Well, the Gottman, Gottman Institute has all these card decks as part of their treatment. And then it's a free app. And in their app, there's three card decks, salsa, mild, salsa, medium, salsa, hot. And these are different (laughs) expressions of things, sexuality in the mild. It can just be things like 
tell your partner something you like about them. So this is when you're just kind of, maybe you're yep. just getting into it again. Yeah. But as you get to the salsa hot, you've got things I think like put down a plastic sheet and put oil on it and have sex there or something like that. I'm trying to think, and they get like progressively, like each card deck gets progressively more and more hot. Um, right. but it's, that's a really neat resource and you can like kind of star them in your own app. And if you like one of them and talk about it with your partner, but it's exactly kind of that thing that you were, um, talking about is going through finding lists of things you're interested in and, and making plans to do these things. If, if you're so willing, I'm curious, what do, plans. You, yeah, what do you say to people that are like, but then it's not spontaneous. So then it's not natural. Then it's not genuine. It is true that it's not spontaneous but it doesn't mean that that's unnatural and it doesn't mean that it's not real um, because doing nothing at all is not going to help. Right. Um, if you want things to change, you have to change them. True. true. <laughs> Just direct. If you want things to change, you got to change them. <laughs> you got to do something different. Um, and so it can feel awkward. It can feel artificial. It can feel uncomfortable. Just uncomfortable is enough for most people to be like, I don't want to go there. Um, but I'm taking my ears off because I'm afraid they're clunking against my ear things. But um, it is a little bit, I hate to say it like this, but it's a little bit fake it till you make it. Yeah. Like, we're going to try. We're going to try. And it made turn out that the thing that we both thought we were going to be excited about we are not really into at all um yeah. but you tried it you had an experience together and even though that one may not have you know say like you both wanted to try role play and you tried something and it was weird and it didn't work uh really for either of them it could have been role play in general turns out neither of us wants to take on roles or if you've been the wrong roles maybe yes. switch or think of a new scenario or um it's, it's just practice I think and so what i'm hearing is, is willing to willing to bring in that novelty willing to see yeah. if you like something or not yeah. and you're not gonna know if you like it if you aren't willing to make a change like chocolate cupcake versus vanilla cupcake yeah just changing up those cupcake flavors <laughs> you don't know until you try yeah which one you like better um yeah yeah but if, i should say that people can get quite frustrated when it doesn't work right away I know. or it doesn't feel natural it doesn't feel spontaneous because you're planning it but um you need togetherness to feel more together yeah <laughs> Yeah. So I know a lot of people express that frustration. It like, they're like, we tried doing something different. It didn't work. Okay. This doesn't work. And I just encourage people like, don't write it off yet. This is the beginning. And life sometimes is an experiment of trying things. And all you did was you collected data that that wasn't it for you. And so right. what other experiments can we try to collect some data to see, you know, what maybe does it more for you than that other thing? And it might be a series of experiments, like, like you're a scientist, maybe you don't have to imagine yourself wearing a lab coat and like with a beaker or anything that might be too, if maybe that takes away on, from your, it could be good. Yeah. Who knows? But it's a way to just collect data and re-experiment. I think with yourself, as you change, like, what do I like now? What do I like at this stage of my life? And just re-figuring that out with yourself and your body, which is such an exploration, but it's frustrating sometimes that it's an exploration, but 
I just try to remind people like it's a, it's a data collection rather than a, whoop, that didn't work. Game's over now. Yeah. And another thing that people are often afraid of is what if I like something my partner doesn't like? Mm. What if they think I'm gross for liking that? Or what if I figured out that I'm really more of a taker than a giver? Um, What would my partner think of that? Mm. Um, And it may be that you'll learn that you don't have as much overlap as you thought that you did. But then the challenge is, you know, if you want this relationship to work sexually, then the challenge is maybe figuring out compromise or switching off or um, it being more about one person giving something to the other for that experience and then Mm -hmm. getting to have their experience in a different way later. Yeah. Yeah. So working together. So what you mentioned that kind of together, kind of seeing where you like being maybe willing to compromise. So when it comes to changing sexuality, what are some of the important steps you would Or what are some of the steps you think are important to working with your partner as your sexuality changes? This is the hardest one. Yeah. But being honest about where you're at. Yeah. If we're talking from the woman's perspective, I mean, men also, they also have their own age related issues with sex and sexuality. But from a woman's point of view, like, the number one thing that I hear is a sense of secrecy or I need to fix this. I've got to get this medication. I've got to get this thing going. And it's, it's a very solitary and private mm-hmm. um, trying to find a solution. Meanwhile, you know, their partner may have no idea that any of this stuff is going on. Or they may have some idea or they may think, well, my wife's taking medication now, so that's got to fix it, right? Or or, um, one of my favorite kind of little bits from the book I showed is is a lot of people, men and women, have this perception that with desire comes lubrication. Mm. That's not necessarily true. Right. You can feel desire and and still experience dryness because of the biology of your body right now. And that can it can it can mess with the woman experiences, like the woman who is experiencing its head. <laughs> so like I feel like I'm turned on, but I'm not lubricated. So like maybe I'm not turned on, and then you get into like a whole head game and your spouse may be like, she's not lubricated, she's not into it. Right. And if you don't talk about it, they would never know. Right. Um, So everybody's making assumptions and conclusions that may or may not be true about what's really going on in the moment. What you said is so important about being honest where you're at. And I think, so as you mentioned earlier, saying words like vagina, lubrication, even penis, you know, like these are like, oh my gosh, Ah, taboo, taboo. Like, yeah, so Jessica's putting her hand over her mouth right now, if you're listening to this audio. And it is that kind of like, ooh, I've said this like bad secret kind of thing. And research also shows us around sexuality that when couples talk about sex, couples that talk about sex, their likes, desires, wants in a positive way, they tend to have more sex. Yeah. And it's so hard to be honest where you're at to say, I can just imagine being there and being like, you know, trying to squeak out just so you know, 
I am, I, I, I do have desire for the first time and kind of like a small, a small voice, a whisper that wants to say it, but that fear and just mm-hmm. kind of hoping that your partner receives it well. Yeah. You mentioned for the, the partner that's describing what they want to be honest, where they're at, I guess, what tips do you have for the partner receiving the honesty? It's hard. I know it's, it's very hard not to take someone else's truth and, and, and connect it to something that you're doing. Right. So to take, in other words, to take it personally. Yes. Um, and my advice to that person receiving that information would be, please, 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 please try to remember that it doesn't, it's not, it's not about you. She's telling you where she's at. That is not a reflection of who you are or how desirable you are or how good at sex you are or how long you can maintain your erection. Like it has nothing almost to do with that. Um, So just, listen and then don't even try to like find a solution at first that you know this is like classic relationship communication stuff Uh, if someone's telling you something they may just wanting they may just want to tell you not to have you then fix it right for them so just listen 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 and then if the telling partner is wants your help then then you may you can jump in there and say, you know, what can I do? I'll right. do whatever you need me to do to make right. this work. Yes. Yeah. So that listening precedes solving, that listening precedes advice. And sometimes solving it isn't required. Yes, exactly. Okay. So in how to work with your partner, you said one of the big things is to be honest where you're at. We've talked about how the receiving partner can listen. You mentioned that, you know, desire doesn't equal lubrication. Any other suggestions on how to work with your body as your sexuality is changing? Or sorry, how to work with your partner as your sexuality is changing? Yeah, let's see. I mean, so to go back to my original client that made me really go down this road, um, sexuality for her before the, the terrible relationship had been very spontaneous very fun, very, she'd never been married uh, and, and she had lots of boyfriends and lots of fun and um, basically, you know, did what seemed fun and good in the moment. Um, that was her kind of sexuality, very spontaneous. Um, her sexuality after the betrayal trauma, after menopause and with this person who is very safe, stable, um, uh, mostly safe and stable. Let's just put it that way. Not like exciting. Um, she realized that she wanted to be in that relationship with him because he was stable and safe, but stable and safe did not turn her on. Right. So it, that doesn't say, well, then you got to go find danger. Um, that's not necessarily the solution, but can she, if she wants to remain in this relationship and have it be sexual with this person, can she find arousal in safety? Hmm. Can, 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 that, can the safety itself become a, um, an origin of 
arousal because this person would definitely be into trying anything that she might want to try, whether it's like, let's just do sensual massages instead for a while, or let's, you know, try tickling or like light touches. It, he, he would, he would do whatever, as long as it meant that they were connecting. Right. Um, and so that's taking something that was kind of a turnoff safety and making it a thing that could be a platform for exploration that she's never really gotten to do before because it was all about like fast and spontaneous and excitement and there wasn't a lot of like what do you like Mm. what do you think you could enjoy right Do do you like soft caresses or do you like you know this or that um and so she's trying that um and allowing it to be an exploration for herself in the context of this safety that this person provides. Right. So what kind of suggestions do you have for how someone goes on to do a mindset shift like that, to go from, you know, arousal being associated with spontaneity, newness, maybe danger to trying to associate desire with safety. What kind of shifts would someone need to go through? Hmm. I think it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen overnight, and it it doesn't happen like a you know like a, a kick to the head. Um, I think it happens through talking about it over and over and over again. Whether that's right. in therapy or with your partner or both, just saying, being honest about like things are different, and right. I don't know why they're different, or maybe I do know why. Um, but I need help figuring this out with you. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think only through talking about it, are you going to get more and more of those aha eureka moments? Oh, maybe that could work. Right. I never thought of that before. Right. Wow. That's a great idea. Like there's only so much spinning you can do in your own head. The more you can talk about it out loud the more likely you're going to get ideas. Right. So you kind of talked about this origin story at the beginning, being unsure. Was it betrayal trauma? Was it that she just wasn't sexual anymore? Like there's lots of unpacking to do. So maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I don't feel sexual, but I'm not even sure I want to try seeing if I can have some responsive desire. Like, I'm just not sure where to even start. Um, where could someone begin to start if they're just like, wow, I'm, I'm relating to this, but I don't know what to do now. Well, I guess the very first step would be asking oneself, do I, do I have a problem with where I'm at? Hmm. Do I have a problem with where I'm at? Or does my partner have a problem with where I'm at? Or am I perceiving a societal perception that there's a problem with being where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I think figuring that out first is the most important thing because trying to fix a problem that's not really a problem for you is right. maybe not the best way to go. But if, if we're just talking about the sexuality part. So then if you are, if you are in a partnership and you've decided like, I don't need this anymore, you do have another problem, which is, well, what does, 
what what do my partner and I now do or not do? Um, how can we navigate this and stay together? Um, yeah. So that's kind of a that's one next step after identifying: do I or do I not have a problem with my own sexuality? Do I want things to change? Um, if you've decided that I do want things to change, then you got to start talking about it with other people, right? Partner or therapist, um, or do explorations. On, I mean, there's a wealth of information, great and terrible, online about sexuality. There yes. are many ways to explore your own sexuality through the magic of the internet. Um, but I think talking about it is the first step to changing it if that's what you want to do. So I'm hearing there's a big emphasis as well on kind of saying this might like, while you might have experienced a change, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. If it's not a problem for you, it may not be a problem. It could lead to a tricky topic if it's not a problem for you, but it is a problem for your partner, which is the next level. But first is to evaluate, is this actually a problem for me? Mm-hmm. Cause it might not be, then it's just peace with where you're at and acceptance. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. So what kind of tips or suggestions do you have for partners that are couples that are maybe experiencing that other piece where the partner who's had to change the sexuality is like, I'm fine that I don't feel it, but that, that feels like a real problem for their partner. Where do they go from there? Mm. That I truly wish I had more experience with, cause I haven't okay. gotten into actually having the other person in the room okay. and talking through that in like a couple's counseling scenario I'm usually on the side of like maybe you can have this kind of conversation with your partner or you know suggesting how to do it but um it's hard it's hard it's really hard to admit that you don't want something that you know somebody else wants yeah um and it may lead to really big shifts in the style of your relationship yeah which is scary but scary but you're probably like more more likely than not if you're having a problem your partner knows that you're having some kind of problem so it shouldn't be a surprise right yeah well I mean what I'm just kind of thinking about is that first thing you talked about was just being honest about where you're at and sometimes like where where we go and we're how that could affect partnership is going to change over the lifespan. Like our interests change, our our passions change, the people we hang out with change, our jobs change, our careers change. We change. And that can be really scary for a partnership when there's change. Yeah. But if we're honest about it, we have the opportunity to lay out our feelings, our dreams, and allow possibilities for solutions to emerge rather than kind of not being honest with ourselves and becoming unhappy because we haven't given the opportunity for there to be a solution because we're not telling the truth to ourselves or the person that we love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I, the, my, my origin story client at some point, this was her own idea and it was wonderful, uh, was to create a, a vision board slash list of what mm. a relationship, not this relationship, but like what a desired relationship would include and look like. Um, so it wasn't like, this is what's wrong with our relationship. It was, this is what I'm hoping for in any relationship. And she did that and he did that. And then they compared and his 
had on it a specific piece about I want a healthy, regular, frequent sex life. And hers did not include that. Mm. And they have not talked about that since, but it is out there. Mm -hmm. And um, they're navigating it as best they can without talking about it directly. But he knows and she knows. Right. Well, I like that idea of putting out like a vision board or, or just putting out there, getting clear on what you want. And I think it's really easy to talk about what we don't want. Sometimes we're confronted yes. with like, I don't want that. Don't want that. Don't want that. But we can be clear on what we're looking for, or what would be better for us. What would meet our needs. That's really helps to express to ourselves and to our partners. What are we looking for? And then, like you said, then it's out there what we're looking for. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yep. something is done about it. But at the very least it's out there. <laughs> Everyone's on the same page. Um, yeah. Um, that's a starting place. Okay. Whether this relationship will last, I don't know. But um, whether it's for now and not for later, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, menopause just is, it's all about change, unfortunately yes. or fortunately. Um, so changing, changing yourself, changing your sexuality, changing your relationships, changing your priorities. It's, just, it's all about change. So it's a wild ride. Yeah. What are some common feelings or experiences that people have after they go through menopause? Do you have any sense of that? It it's I feel like it breaks into two major camps and it's the one camp of whew, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. Whew, like I just I do not care about all those things that were so important to me in my twenties and felt like I had to do or had to be or had to make happen. Like I don't I don't need to do any of those things anymore when it comes to like sexuality or how how you're looking or et cetera, et cetera. Um so it sounds like really like focus on on like external appearance a little bit. Like I don't mm-hmm. have to care about the way I'm showing up, the way I'm presenting, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Um, but not to the degree like, oh, now I can, yay, now I can become a slob. It's just like, I was so worried about um, my breasts drooping or I was so worried about this cellulite um, because you know all of those things connote in some evolutionary way that I'm no longer sexual. I'm no longer desirable as sexual. Um, and that was worrisome, but now I don't care about that. So it's like more like embracing your body as it is. Yes. And then the other camp is more like, how do I get back to what I used to be? Mm. I need, I, I just, I don't like this. I want it to go back. Um, and to some degree, some things can be done to go back, quote unquote, in time. Um, but ultimately you have changed and you're going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Or not. <laughs> yeah, or not. <laughs> you could just not deal with it. Um, but there's a lot of anxiety and um, self-judgment and a lot of other 
not fun stuff that comes with not dealing with it. Yeah. And what's so hard is like, we're going to age, but society in general, whether you're walking, checking out at a checkout counter at a grocery store, uh, your friend talking about the latest procedure they had done, you scrolled on Instagram and your ads popped up a new anti-wrinkle this or that at you or thing you could I saw this new one in my ads I was like what did I click on to get this like something I could a mask I could put on my neck and my breasts to make sure that they my breasts <laughs> don't have wrinkles I was like oh I didn't even I didn't even know I should be worried about breast wrinkles but I, apparently I should be you know <laughs> I, I love I, I love those it's like oh I'm in that age group now what like yeah, how did that yeah. happen <laughs> and it's I think it's it could be hard to kind of come to a place of peace and recognize like we are not aging in reverse despite some advertising claims you might get a year or two but at some point you're still aging forwards for the mm-hmm. most part we are yep and it, that, that's a really hard thing to encounter and make peace with sometimes yeah yeah sometimes it's like the the sex is actually secondary to just the aging overall absolutely I want to be young I don't want to be I don't want to think about hospitals or doctors or hormone treatments or my cholesterol. Like there's just such a wish to not have to think about those things. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that total acceptance and deciding I'm not going to do anything about anything anymore is, is, is the solution, but um, giving up is not the solution, but I think just, acceptance and um being okay with yourself yeah so we've talked about so many things here today we've talked about uh changes in sexuality kind of the two camps that you can fall into being okay or really not being so okay with the changes that are happening uh we've talked about being honest with yourself where you're at differences in spontaneous desire reactive desire um if there's something that you're hoping that listeners take away from this today what what do you hope they remember I would love for people, I would love for this to be a springboard for thinking about what people themselves really want for themselves. Mm. Because that, and and let's just put it in the sexual camp. Let's like think about, because lots of people think about things that they would like. I would like to go on vacation. I would like this. I would like that. But sexuality is a reality it is just a it is a biological and emotional thing that we all have to reckon with in one way or another and um i would love for people to examine not what they think their partner wants not what they think they should be doing but what did they want Mm. that's a good one leave me alone help me get there. I want to turn back time. I want to be, you know, like whatever it is, like just get in touch with it. So you know what you're working with rather than going from the outside in, like work from the inside out. Oh, I love that. The external pressures are everywhere, but it's like taking a moment to pause and going, okay, me, what do I want at this moment of time? And then, then working out with what you want to do with that. But it's like pausing and, and kind of shutting off all that noise and tuning in with you, which a lot of us, it's hard to do sometimes, but that's so important. It's hard to do. Okay, Jessica, this was really amazing. Uh, I loved going to some of these topics, just starting to say words like vagina, 
labia <laughs> lubrication that are that are hard to talk about. And so say we're getting permission to say these words, <laughs> to talk about them with yourself, your friends, your partner. Um, if people are are loving talking or hearing about this right now, they're interested in working with you, how can they be in touch? So you can just old-fashioned call me. Um <laughs> my my the number that you can reach me at is 917-282-3270. Or you can email e- email me, email me. You can email me at jessica.e as in Elizabeth dot cole C-O-L-E at Gmail. Um, okay, so email. we'll link those in the show notes. Um, and you that you do virtual clients. Can you do international clients with where you're at? I do a lot of virtual. I do international. Okay. So now you've heard that she can probably work with you no matter where you are. So we'll put the information up there and just thank you again for coming on. This is wonderful to speak with you today. Thank you so much, Amber. This was a real pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.